It is exactly 7.52. I'm Taming Gubeni sitting in for Ayabonga Tawe tonight. Let's focus then on the top business stories of the day. And for this conversation, we're joined by market analyst Bandile Matandela. Very good afternoon. I mean, good evening to you. Thank you so much uh, for joining us. Perhaps uh, let's start with um, the consumer inflation. That seems to have slowed to 4.9% in, in June. Uh, give us a bit of um, direction as to what are the factors that have influenced this. Yeah, so, so, so thank you very much, Tammy, and um, good evening. Um, I think um, it's, it's, it's been an interesting one um, because, you know, in, we, we saw the, the inflation rising to a 30-month high um, last month, and we've seen that, well, in May, and we've seen that this has rebounded in um, June. It seems like this was a slight blip probably caused by various factors. I mean, they, they had mentioned last um, month that there was a lot of changes with regards to some of the consumer spending, transport, fuel, and it seems like um, this has bounced back to around the mid um, midpoint of the target that they have in infl- and consumer inflation. For me, I think what this is, what, what, what the interesting part here is the fact that this comes a day before the Reserve Bank has to make an announcement with regards to the interest with with regards to interest rates, and I think this this lowering or this reduction of uh, inflation is going to make it quite difficult for them. Reserve Bank to, to 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 increase interest rates because we're seeing that um, the, the inflation is decreasing again. So I think for me it's going to serve for a very interesting conversation just around whether or not we the Reserve Bank is going to hold when it comes to interest rates, or whether or not they're going to be looking to increase them. You know there has been a lot of speculation in the market that we might see um, a, a slight increase in interest rates as the economy begins to pick up. But I think um, there's, there's numbers coming in from inflation, from, from the inflation perspective, make for an interesting um, uh, position that the Reserve Bank finds themselves in. Let's, let's move on now to uh, the new welfare grant uh, that is on the table. Uh, I think a, lot, a large number of South Africans who are in need will perhaps be quite a celebratory regarding this from uh, 350 rand, which is the one that uh, is, is being received now, to just under 600 rand, 595. That's what's uh, being touted. How much is this going to cost the country? I mean, I think this is going to be quite costly from a country perspective, as you can imagine. You know, I think for me, the first point is, you know, to under to, to, to first, you know, say that, you know, we understand the need. There's definitely a need for, 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 for our people to receive support, particularly uh, post this unrest. We must keep in mind that um, the originally this 350 has been touted and being sort of uh, the conversations around assisting people to deal with this um, post the civil unrest. But I think now there's a broader conversation happening within the political space and um, spearheaded by some of the unions to say that this should be converted to a basic income grant, which means that uh, even post the civil unrest, um, this is something that we would have within our economy to ensure that people receive uh, some form of grant. You know, there's a lot of, uh, of course, opinions on this particular matter. Business units South Africa coming in as well. you sort of stating that if we're going to be PPP introducing any grants, we need to make sure that these are sustainable and affordable within our constrained fiscal environment. Whether or not this will be a basic income grant, I think for me it's going to be a very difficult sell, especially considering the stance that has been taken previously by the finance minister in making sure that we, 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 we monitor and manage our spending. 
So for me, it would be really difficult. So I think definitely there is a need. Whether or not it's something that's going to be implemented on the long term, it would be very difficult for me, and, and, I'm, and I'm really not convinced that this is something that will pass, considering as well the cost of it. I don't know if our fiscal right now is, um, has the type of muscle to be able to sustain something like this. There are some analysts, uh, Bandile, who have said that the austerity measures right now are, are really counterproductive as far as stimulating the country's economy, that in order to, to stimulate it, you've got to inject some cash in the economy. And and this is something that this basic income grant would do in, in many ways. Others are also saying that once you introduce it, it will be quite difficult to then withdraw it um, at the end of the, the, the COVID-19 uh, lockdown. Just your thoughts on, on that. Yeah, I mean, I think I think one, it would it would certainly inject cash into the economy. But I think for me, you know, uh, the question is always around sustainability um, and the viability of what we're trying to do. You know, I think in the interim, it injects cash in the economy. The economy is a little much more spending. The economy is, is sort of ticks. But is this sustainable going into the future? And it's a point that you're making, right? Post these lockdowns, once we've seen sort of the dust settles down and vaccinated, the, the, the targeted number of people that we want, is this something that we can continue with? And I think that's the real conversation. I think in terms of need, in terms of the some of the effects on the economy, we, you know, we're all well aware of them. It's just more around the affordability and the sustainability of this. You know, as you say, you know, you're not going to introduce something, then stop it because it's going to anger a lot of people. And I think also just going into elections, of course, which uh, I think the recommendation was now to move them to next year, uh, some of these things begin to have an effect. You know, if when do you pull it? Do you pull it right before election? What's the impact from a political perspective? So I think it would be a very difficult one for me to implement in the long term, you know, but... um, you know, it will be interesting to hear what Treasury actually thinks about this because ultimately they're the custodians of our budgets and our finance. And, and talking about that, how much is this uh, announcement that is looming for the, uh, the welfare grant, how much of that is actually linked to the looting and the devastation that we've seen um, in the past week or so? Yeah, so I think I think to a certain there, there is some linkages because if you remember when the president addressed this, he announced um, that the standard fifty will be reinstated because it had actually fallen off um, because of this unrest as a way to support people. So I think there is a direct correlation with that. So it's uh, it's one of the means that will, are being put in place to support people. Of course, we've seen all of the talks around the impact on um, GDP. We know that in KZN, currently the impact is estimated about 20 billion rand. National uh, impact uh, on the GDP is estimated about 50 billion rand. So I think these grants are more so to, to provide support in the interim. Again, I think for me, the point is just around sustainability and affordability of these in the long term. I mean, we're already operating with such a constrained fiscal. You know, we, we, we have public, sort of the public sector um, wage issue that's currently ongoing in the country. We've got so many various issues to introduce another spending mechanism, I think would be a very difficult one. And I would, I would just love to see what Treasury would base and support or what would they base the support on that on you know considering some of the assertions the minister has made in the past uh, couple of months in terms of affordability so i think for me this is a very very difficult so but to answer your question i think there is definitely linkages with the current um, or the recent uh, civil unrest in south africa you, you bring up a really interesting point bandile and and, and that point is how is treasury going to make this work 
considering as well the fact that the, the, the destruction that we've seen over the past week was not anticipated, it was not budgeted for. A government will need to support business in a really huge way in order for them to resuscitate themselves following the huge loss. And, and, and so it's pretty much of a double whammy for them. One side, they've got to reconstruct the businesses that were destroyed in Guazulu Natal, as well as Gauteng. And then on the other hand, uh, provide the welfare grants for those who are in need during this time. Where do you think they're going to be taking that money from or soliciting that money from, uh, especially because we've been seeing cuts from all departments and on all angles? Yeah, it would be very interesting. I mean, at this point, I don't think that we can really say where they will be taking this amount from. But I mean, I think the estimations currently is that to, in order for them to be able to reinstate this grant, it will cost us about 24 billion rand a year. You know, that's a substantial amount of money considering just um, the, the, how restrained our fiscal is right now. So I think for me, there's various options that they're going to have to look at. Probably reprioritization is going to be the main one. Um, how can they reprioritize funds that are already allocated within Fiscus um, in order to redirect them towards this particular grant? And also, it would also probably be looking at uh, is there an avenue of potential to raise external funds from the from various international donors and FIs that could potentially support this. So I think Treasury will really have to have a look at their finances. I mean, they they've got the numbers in front of them. It would be very difficult for me to speculate exactly where it will come from. But I think there will need to be some reprioritization and just thinking through um, how do we make this specific budget work um, uh, in line with what we're trying to do here. I mean, of course, Treasury did say that they lo- they lo- they're using a zero-based budget model, which basically, you know, means that every year we go from a zero. So reprioritization would be the key thing here because there's no additional funds in the fiscal. Bandile, have you ever been to uh, the Ticket Pro Dome? What was your favorite concert, if ever? <laughs> no, no. I actually, I've actually never been to the dome. Funny enough, um, uh, I've never really been a concert person. But uh, it's, I've been someone who's followed that, um, that 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 the dome a lot. I mean, I mean, I think uh, uh, there was that whole popular uh, when Casper Nyovest filled up the dome. I think it was quite a That's big right. moment for South African music. You know, but of course we do know that uh, the days of uh, having any entertainment or music at the dome are over. And and it's very sad, and we certainly hope that they're over just for now. But certainly, having those type of concerts, no more filling up the dome for any artist that hoped that they would uh, follow up with Casper uh, as well as Dr. Dumi, also uh, attempted that. But We Buy Cars has now jumped in, and they're buying um, Ticket Pro Dome. Tell us more about that deal. Yeah, so a very interesting one for me, you know, and I think probably makes sense um, for We Buy Cars and congratulations, congratulations to them. You know, it also has this, you know, for me, it says, you know, we've been talking and discussing about sort of an ailing economy and we've been talking about um, a drop in a lot of spending, but it seems like We Buy Cars um, is confident enough in people spending on um, cars going forward they making such a significant investment. We buy cars of course is owned by Transaction Capital, the same company that owns SA Taxi and a couple of other companies. So it's a group of companies and it seems like they're making quite a a lot of aggressive investment. And a recent one is acquiring of the dome or the land that the dome sits on from um, the Sunlam Pension Fund. And um, it's really an interesting one. They will be converting the dome to a, I think it's going to be the biggest uh, used car sales or dealership in the world. 
that's going to have about 1,500 cars. So what, in, what is interesting and um, is that um, the dome was actually in, uh, originally designed to be a, a, a sort of a moto, moto showroom. So the CEO of We Buy Cars did say that um, what they are doing is going to help realize the original intention of the dome. You know, for me, it just speaks of this changing world and um, the impact and the effect of COVID just on the entertainment world. And I think if it's the dome, it's the dome first, and then it's going to be interesting to see what happens to other uh, other venues and other uh, entertainment um, um, uh, venues, because I think they've been affected so much by the by COVID. And I think going forward, it's we're still very far off to seeing um, arenas like the dome or or stadiums filled up. You know, so I think it's something that definitely makes sense from the owners right now to say in order to keep um, the value of that particular site, um, let's let's change the use. And I think this is something that we're going to begin to see a lot happening going into the season. And how would the sale impact Sassol's pension fund? No, I think in this particular case, uh, so the Sassol's pension fund, the uh, in this particular case, for them, it's a, it's a, it's a sale, right? Um, it would, of, of course, depend on how much they purchased it by and how much they're selling it on. On their side, they're probably just getting rid of an asset um, that's been uh, re- probably requiring a lot of um, spending on it, yet not recovering any income over the last 18 months. So I think for them, it's a, probably a decision to say there's nothing we can do with this asset. We don't project that we'll be able to recoup or recover any value from this asset going forward. So it makes more sense for them to just rather let go of it. And of course, when we buy cars, it's an expansion move to see that, you know, they've got a more centralized uh, place where you could find various vehicles and hopefully this um, cars might begin to close off other branches and begin to centralize their efforts towards um, the, the dealership that will be opened at the door. So now as we're focusing on a pension funds, Companies that have in investments or, or assets in, um, you know, the type of institutions like the Ticket Pro Dome and others within the hospitality sector who, who have really suffered under COVID-19, how have they been affected as far as the value of those pension funds? Yeah, so I think I think a lot of them um, will begin to be affected because that means that there's no income or revenue being derived. Uh, from these specific um, these specific venues, uh, which means there's no returns uh, being realized on the on 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 on, on the specific investment. So they'll definitely be impacted. You know, it will be interesting to see what uh, others do going forward. But I think for me, my projection would be this is the first of many to come. You know, the world is beginning to change, and I think how we consume entertainment is also going to begin to change. Um, and and then I can imagine a lot of um, some of these owners and a lot of them, the, the the investors are looking at various ways to still extract value from these venues uh, without obviously necessarily selling. You know, if they, of course they've got intention to keep it, but I think if you have a pension fund that's um, hosting or, or owns some of these um, venues, there's definitely a lot of thinking going on there in terms of how we can retain and continue to realize value for the investors and the people that hold. Uh, shares, or if I can call it that, in this specific fund. So let's look at another industry that's really been hard hit, and and that is the the alcohol industry. 
COVID-19 and the lockdown regulations have not been kind to them, specifically here in South Africa. And one of the moves and the trends that we are seeing are breweries, not only in South Africa, but also globally, are now basically focusing on a new generation of non-alcoholic beers. How is that working? Yeah, so this is for me a very interesting one. And I think it's been an industry that's been growing for a couple of for a number of years now where we began to see the introduction of um, 0% non-alcoholic um, alcohol. So I think this is being uh, right now that the lockdowns are acting as a catalyst in terms of the growth of this subsegment in the alcohol industry, where we're seeing people, I think, initially because of the lockdown, sort of migrated from drinking a traditional alcoholic uh, beverages to non-alcoholic beverages. You know, we've seen a lot of brands uh, coming up and launching various products on this particular space. So it seems like um, the, the, the global brewers, uh, mainly in this particular case, AB InBev, as well as Heineken, are exploring how to further expand this market, uh, expand various products in this market. And I think this coincides with sort of this new awakening within the healthcare space where people are beginning to be more conscious about what they consume. And I think what the lockdowns have also begun to do is really show us the impact uh, of alcohol on various things. I mean, uh, one of the things that have been raised a lot in South Africa is just the impact of alcohol consumption on, on trauma trauma cases within hospitals. And I think people are sort of getting to that point where they might migrate towards uh, consuming non-alcoholic beverages. So I think the big top brewers are beginning to align themselves to sort of get that um, first mover advantage within the space. So I think it's a very interesting move. It's gonna whether or not it's going to be sustainable over the long term, um, we don't know yet. But it's definitely a growing segment within the alcohol space, and I think um, uh, you can definitely understand where they're coming from in terms of trying to position themselves within this market. But who then, Bandile, would be the target market for these non-alcoholic um, beers? Would it be drinkers who are now going for perhaps a, a similar taste with with hops, but not the alcohol? Or are they really targeting non-alcoholic drinkers who are really not consuming any sort of alcohol? It will probably be um, a mixture of both, right? So I think on one front, the main target market would be those people that don't consume alcohol but would still be, uh, for example, if you're out at a braai and you don't necessarily want to be consuming juice, so you would buy non-zero percent, so sort of you'd buy zero percent alcohol drink in order to still be relevant within the social setting. But I think also they probably are targeting uh, drinkers that might want the similar taste, the similar thing, but they've decided that for that specific night or for that specific uh, outing that they don't want to consume a lot of alcohol. So I think the target market will vary across, but I don't think that they'll be necessarily vying for a share of throat with um, the traditional uh, juice um, or beverages. You know, I think it will be more around still within that setting of, of being out, of having fun, but then they're providing an alternative. You know, I still want to be out. I'd still like to have the beer taste, but I don't want the alcohol because I still need to drive back. So this provides an alternative. And again, the lockdowns have probably acted as a catalyst uh, to this industry that was already sort of growing um, over the last couple of years. Um, so I think for me that the target markets will be across board, but I don't think that they will play typically in the space where they're trying to compete with a Coca-Cola or any juice beverage in, in, in necessarily. I think it's more around the social setting, but providing alternatives. Well, Bandile Matandela, thank you very much for today's business wrap.
Uh, he is a market analyst. Thank you very much. You have yourself a, a great evening further. Well, that takes us uh, to exactly 12 minutes after 8 p.m. And I'm just wondering, are you a person who, who drinks alcohol? Do you consume alcoholic beverages? And if so, do the non-alcoholic beers have the same impact or effect for you? I mean, Bandile mentioned something quite important, that drinking is oftentimes a, a, a social a, a social act. You you do it while you're having a braai and uh, it may not necessarily that be that you want to, you know, get drunk or want to feel a certain way, but holding a, a, a beer, even if it's non-alcoholic, uh, for those who, who do uh, drink while you're having a braai still, quote-unquote, hits the spot for you. Are you a non-alcoholic beer drinker? Why don't you hit us up on our Twitter handle, which is at MetroFMSA, and you can hashtag there MetroFMTalk. Non-alcoholic beers, are you the target market? Do you drink them? If so, why? And if not, why not? Uh, so do share some of your thoughts at MetroFMSA on Twitter and hashtag there MetroFMTalk. We'd be really keen to hear what your sentiments are regarding that. In just a moment, we'll be going into our tech conversations focusing today on the University of Cape Town. And they've launched uh, their very own online high school. We'll be talking to Robert Paddock in just a moment.